Hello, ladies and gentlemen, and welcome to the UI Breakfast Podcast. I'm your host, Jane Portman, and today our awesome guest is Josh Garofalo, a SaaS copywriter and consultant at Sway Copy, and we're going to talk about SaaS websites and best practices there. This episode is brought to you by Gusto. Gusto offers payroll, benefits, HR, and management tools for small businesses. Automatically file and pay your taxes. Sign, store, and organize employee paperwork online. Choose from hundreds of benefits plans to fit nearly any budget. Fast, easy, all-in-one place. And if you want your business to be all set up by 2020, you don't want to wait. Sign up today at gusto.com slash uibreakfast and get three months free when you run your first payroll. Hi, Josh. Hey, Jane. Thanks for having me. We are absolutely excited. And you're like a treasure chest of different case studies and advice. So let's dive in. (laughs) Sure. Yeah, let's do it. First hand, could you tell us a bit more about yourself, what you do, and maybe a few years before you became like a stellar copywriter online? Yeah, for sure. So right now, I am a SaaS copywriter and consultant, like you said. So I do write copy, but I do a lot of the work that comes before copy, such as positioning and customer research. Um, And then the way I got into this, uh, which is a meandering path, as it is for most people, um, I started out actually as a master's student in a program that was basically like an MBA, but focused on internet business. And so from there, I went to a startup where I was the one and only marketer, where I got to do all types of things, where one of those things was was copywriting. And then it was through my work there while creating a website that I ran into Joanna Weeb, as everybody does, who is a copywriter oh, today. Oh, yes. Yeah. So <laughs> if, you, if you haven't heard of her and you want to learn the basics of copywriting, like cop- copyhackers.com, best place for sure. So yeah, I, I ran into her website and she was having a little competition, a little copywriting competition on her site. So I entered it on a whim and I actually won which meant that I got a ticket to Las Vegas to see her speak at MicroConf. And it was, yeah, yeah, it was was amazing. That's an amazing conference if you've never been. Actually, I think you have been there. Did you speak there? I have. Yes. Some of them, yes, in Europe. And I've also been in Vegas in 2014, 14. Well, that that might have been the year that I was actually there. (laughs) (laughs) That's kind of funny, yeah. Yeah, so I, I I won that ticket and I worked up the courage to speak to Joanna And I told her that I was interested in this stuff. And she told me to start a business like right away before I grow complacent and I forget about this whole idea and I just get back to life as usual. (laughs) Um, But of course, you know, I was happily employed. I was working at a startup. I was having a lot of fun there. So what I did is I started a website on the side, swaycopy.com. And it was just going to be a place where I documented everything I learned and um, tried in SaaS copywriting. And it was after I wrote a couple of blog posts um, that I got some inquiries. And because I had a job, you know, I was able to name a price that was good enough that if they said yes, I would quit. I named that price. They said yes. And I quit. (laughs) And so that was 2015. And uh, since then, I've had, you know, the the pleasure of working with some amazing companies like HubSpot and Hotjar, um, Aweber, Cisco, list goes on. So yeah, I've been focused on SaaS ever since, and that takes us up to today. So what does your typical work process look like? Where do you start? Where does your competence start? And where do you hand off the materials? 
Yeah, so that has uh, changed, I would say, over the last year and a half. So when I started, I started the way most freelancers and consultants do, which is clients come to you with a need, at least they think it's their need, and then you execute. And that's what I did for the longest time. I just, they, they wanted a website, gave them a website. They wanted emails, gave them emails. Um, and since since then, about a year and a half ago, I, I transitioned into starting with an audit and consulting project. So people will still come to me with a preconceived notion of what it is they need in order to, to reach their goals, whether that's more revenue, more signups, whatever it may be. Um, and I take that as a starting point, but I always start with with an in-depth an in-depth audit and customer research project just to make sure that what it is they think they need is actually what they need and that it's actually at the top of the priority list, which it often isn't. There's often more effective things that we can do um, that won't require nearly as much effort to get them live. And so, uh, yeah, that project is, I don't know how much detail you want to go into, but like we can talk about the types of research that I do. Is, is that of interest? Yes, definitely. We would love to have an overview of that. Yeah, yeah, for sure. So it always starts with an audit of the information that they already have. And one thing you'll be surprised about, even when we're talking about, uh, you know, SaaS companies that you would think have it all together, is they often have very little in the way of voice of customer research. So I'll take a look at what they do have, and it's often not a lot. And then I'll start to supplement that with what I need. And so that can consist of like a jobs to be done style survey, uh, interviews. I always press hard for interviews. Sometimes people are reluctant to get on the phone with their customers, but uh, like I'm sure as you know, there's just nothing more valuable. There's nothing that replaces getting on calls with your customers. It's it's immensely valuable. Um, so I'll do that. I'll take a look at customer reviews online. Uh, I'll listen to sales calls. That's often a goldmine. And I'll speak to the sales team and anyone else who's customer facing, like customer support, uh, product managers, and just really trying to get a good idea from all these different perspectives. Uh, if, if I were to distill it down to something really simple is I'm really trying to understand what's going on in their business uh, before they're looking for a solution like my clients. Uh, some of the roadblocks that they had to overcome in order to actually decide to make uh, the decision to move forward because those might be things that we can smooth out what life is like now that they're using it and what they're hoping to achieve in the future and and, and what they hope to see the product become as as uh, they move forward uh, with my client. Uh, that's it in a very simplified nutshell. But uh, yeah, it's really it's really just getting to know the customer and not leaning too heavily on generalized findings, which uh, you'll often find uh, like enterprise clients will We'll pay, you know, $100,000, get an amazingly in-depth market research report that actually says nothing about how the customer thinks and, and speaks. I'm sure you've seen some of those reports yourself. In this research, are you looking for specific words or are you looking at the general picture first? It's definitely both. So usually I'll do a pass through whatever I'm able to get my hands on and I'll look for themes. And then once I've sort of identified some of the themes and those themes might be motivators, what caused them to look for something. It could be pain points that they're consistently talking about. It can be features and benefits that just come up over and over again, um, while others are are mentioned far less often. And then once I have those themes and I've organized a lot of my voice to customer research around those themes, then I'm really starting to pull out um, keywords that they're using. And it's it's amazing when this happens, but if they, if sometimes there's key phrases that just are perfect for like a headline and they're, it's like they're doing my job for me. And that's why, that's why I always talk about how copywriting it's, it's amazing how little of it is writing. It's really being 
really good at the research, pulling those nuggets out and assembling the pieces. That's that's what usually makes great copy. And then of course you need to you need to know the basics of writing, but really we're just, you know, we're salespeople in writing. One of uh, Joanna Weeb's favorite recommendations is uh, to go online and search for competitor reviews, for example, on Amazon or Kaptera or wherever you are, so that you don't even have to actually get on the calls. Exactly. And I would still get on the calls, but that's still a great place. And it often is where I start so that I can get more out of those calls. I I know where the call is approximately going to go, and then I can ask those probing questions to go a little bit deeper. Are there any resources you could recommend on these uh, research materials that people can dive into if they're interested? Definitely. Like I said earlier, Copy Hackers, uh, she has courses. And the other place that I'd recommend is Conversion XL. They just have an amazing assortment of courses, not just in copywriting, but all the other elements that as a good copywriter, you need to be familiar with. So between those two, I... I mean, there's there's other people with good courses, but between those two sources, you're not going to be hurting for information. Let's talk about a typical case study, a software business, SaaS business, uh, that's uh, planning for a website or already has a website that they would love to improve. So uh, what would be your process for figuring out what pages should be there and what should go in there and how do you actually talk to your people from, from those pages? How do you put together the copy? Yeah, so a lot of that is, at least the beginning of it, is the customer research process that I was um, speaking about before. Mm -hmm. And then if they already have a website and they're not running something like Hotjar or Full Story, that's definitely my next step. Um, I'm looking to make sure that we've got the right information on the page, that there's nothing missing, that what we're selling is clear and compelling. And I'm watching things like uh, recorded video sessions where you can find all types of little things that you would just not pick up um, with your own eye, especially if you are at the company. Because if if you're at the company and you're, and you're super familiar with your space and with your product, everything that's on your page is going to make total sense to you and because your brain is filling in the gaps. But when you actually watch people, as you know, as a, as a user experience designer yourself, when you actually watch people interact with a page, it's amazing what they get stuck on. And it's not their fault. It's always your fault, right? <laughs> so um, I spent a lot of time um, doing little polls in, in Hotjar and uh, watching recorded sessions uh, to find those little those little opportunities that I just, I would completely miss on my own. And if, if it's something where, you know, their website's been sitting dormant for four years and it's just outdated now, or their, their product has changed, the market has changed. It's really, it's really going back to the basics and doing that customer research phase that I, that I spoke about and then breaking it out into, if, if we're talking SaaS, I mean, there is variance between between projects. But if, if you're listening, you're a SaaS company, you're looking for a place to start, you're probably going to need a homepage. And if your product your product is fairly simple, if it's a focused product, such, such as a user list or a, a client that I had recently, Tom's Planner, for something like that, your homepage can often act as a sales page. They don't necessarily have to click through to a bunch of different pages to find what they're looking for uh, to take the next step. So the homepage in that case could be very focused on just getting them to convert Otherwise, if you have a complex offering, if you have multiple products and packages, then that homepage is probably going to be a bit more of a hub in which your goal is to direct them to the, to the next piece of information uh, that, that they need in order to, to take the next step, which might be a, a demo or a free trial. And again, that would the next step is often revealed through Google Analytics, Hotjar, and things of that nature. You're probably going to need a page that talks about how it works so people can 
can think about and, and imagine actually using your product on a day-to-day basis and how it's going to make their life so much better. And the points that you're going to hit there, again, is going to come from the customer research, speaking to the customer, the mining the reviews. You're going to see what it is they care about, and you're going to make sure that you highlight those things. You're probably going to need uh, a page or a series of pages even, uh, depending on the complexity of your, of your product, that touches on your key feature or capability, capability sets. Uh, people want to know that it's going to be able to do a certain job when they come to your site. And you're probably going to need a pricing page. And I mean, the verdict is out of whether or not you're going to show your pricing. That depends on a lot of different things. But uh, yeah, you're definitely going to need a pricing page. And of course, you're going to need some sort of short landing page, uh, whether it's a free trial, sign up, or a demo. And to me, I mean, if if you're a SaaS company and you're not sure which pages you need and you build those out, you're in a, you're in a good spot. There might be some holes in that thinking. You might need some you know, solutions pages, for example. If you're targeting different personas, then you're able to frame your SaaS product in such a way that it makes a lot of sense and appeals to that specific uh, persona um, as, as much as possible. But yeah, that, that to me is the skeleton of, you know, most SaaS websites. That's wonderful. We actually got like the, the key information for the entire episode <laughs> right there. Yeah, we're done. See you guys. <laughs> Let's circle back in time when we were seeing a lot of one pager websites where all of these were on a very long scrollable homepage. So can you tell us why it is not a fantastic idea anymore. There is a certain situation where I'm not opposed to this. And so this this is often what I tell a startup to do when they're coming to me and they're like in private beta, they have no customers and they don't even really know where their product is going to go and exactly what it is people value about their product. In, that, in those situations, I actually do recommend a fairly simple uh, you know, one page or so website, because otherwise you're going to sink a bunch of money and time and resources into developing a website that you might have to scrap three months from now when you realize that you have to make a pivot because that's what your customers are demanding of you. So in those cases, I think it's okay to start with a simple website that you're going to build on as you learn more from your customers, customers that are actually paying, paying you money. Um, cause there's a big difference between people who think you're awesome and say you're awesome and pay. But then, yeah, once, once you, uh, once you get beyond that point and you have people who value your, your product and they're paying for it and there's different types of people using it for different reasons and loving it for different reasons, that's when you need to start building out pages. And you're not, you're not building out pages for the sake of having a, uh, a built out website or for SEO. I mean, I'm not an SEO expert. I'm sure having the multiple pages helps with SEO. Um, but the reason you're doing that is because you're there's just too much information to put on a single page to ask every single person to scroll through because everyone's going to take their own journey. There's going to be some people whose journey is they land on the site, they see what it is you do and what makes you really good about it. And the first thing they need to know before they waste any more time is your pricing. And so you're going to see that pattern when you're when you're watching back like recorded sessions that they land on your site, they spend a couple of seconds in the hero section, click on pricing, and then they'll click back to like your homepage or to a product page. There's going to be other people that are coming to your website because they have a very specific problem and they need a product that can do something really important. Of course, they want all the other stuff that your product does, but there's one thing they really need. And so those people are going to land on your site, see that you are the type of product that they're looking for. And then they're going to click on something like a solutions page that um, that goes into detail and frames the product in such a way that it shows how it solves 
the problem that they are coming to the site with. And so really the reason that you're building out a website and adding all these pages is you're just trying to accommodate different different paths to the to the final outcome, which could be a sale, depending on the price point, demo, free trial. And from, from the X standpoint, you can rephrase that when you were giving us a walkthrough of all common pages, each page has its own goal, what can be done there. And it's much better if they're split, so you can optimize the experience for that very goal, for that very activity. Exactly. Actually, yeah, we never got into conversion optimization there, but that's the other thing. If you have one giant page and it's not converting, like what the heck do you change? There's so many possibilities. But if it's a smaller page with one idea, one core idea that's that's built out, then you have you have a little bit more guidance there, a little bit more room to improve. Let's go back to the homepage uh, of the medium-sized SaaS business, which has a few sections. It's not minimal, but it's not also not overwhelming. So what would be the typical sections that you'd put together for such business? Yeah, it certainly depends on things like stage of awareness, but without complicating things too much, some of the things that you want to see for sure on any homepage are a clear value proposition or a positioning statement, something that shows me what it is exactly that you do and why I should consider you over some of the other alternatives that I might be thinking about. So before this call, we were talking about your company user list. And that's something that you guys do a really good job of above the fold now is you talk, you say exactly what it is that you do, and then you target the exact person that's going to love user, user list. And that's the person who knows the need customer messaging, but Intercom and Customer.io are just aren't going to work for a number of reasons. Great products, both of them, but they're not right for everybody. And so that's who UserList is for. And so when that person lands on your site, above the fold, you know, within five, 10 seconds, they know that UserList is worth evaluating. It's, it's different than the competitors. They've thought about the competitors and it's targeted for someone just like them. So that's, that's key for sure. The other thing that you don't necessarily have to have on every page, but I would experiment with it, is a brief section that just shows that you understand the problem or the set of problems that are causing people to look for a solution like yours. Because if you're able to talk about this in a very specific way, it makes it far more believable when you say you've got a solution um, that you actually do have a solution. Because how can you solve something if you don't understand the problem inside and out. So if you show that you understand the problem and you empathize with the customer using their language, they're going to be far more likely to believe you have a solution, which, you know, takes me to the next thing, solution. You got to show that you have a solution. And if you can show product images, great, but you need to be able to highlight the main things that people are looking for in a solution to their problems, the key features and capabilities, and uh, talk about, you know, why this matters. Um, it's hard to come up with stuff right off the top of my head without a product in mind. But obviously, some of the things you're going to want to touch on is like time and money. They want to they want to save time. They want to make more money. They want to save money. They want to make things easier, um, easier to adopt. If you can if you can talk about those types of things in a specific way without just saying save money, uh, it's probably going to be a hit. Uh, the other thing you're going to want is social proof. So logos. Uh, testimonials, but not in the way most people do testimonials. So <laughs> you don't necessarily want testimonials in that you just have like a carousel at the bottom of your page that only 40% of people reach with like eight testimonials that are just talking about how great your product is, uh, that no one is actually going to scroll through or sit and watch. Instead, I've seen a lot more success with like contextual testimonials. So if I make so-and-so claim, um, then I back it up. So, you know, user list is far easier to use than the competitors like Intercom and Customer.io. That's 
obviously something you're going to say as the owner of user list. But then if you can back that up with a testimonial from someone who's like, we were using intercom, we were paying X dollars a month, and it was far too difficult for us to adopt in our small team, we switched to user list and all that went away. Now it's far more believable, right? So you definitely want that. And the other thing is a carefully considered call to action strategy. So don't add multiple call to actions to your homepage without at least thinking about why you're doing it. It's it's okay to, to guide people to a bunch of d- different directions, but start with the default that there's one thing that I need people to do on this page. And that is read the page and then take the next step, which might be that free trial or the demo. Um, and then of course you can add other call to actions as needed. And I guess if there were a final thing, it would be just to manage expectations. Um, a lot of people don't realize that their call to actions are misleading. They don't realize that when the person is clicking that button, if they click it, they're actually taking a chance because they don't really understand what's on the other side of it. And and that surprise is usually not a good one. So if there's going to be a credit card requested on the other side, you know, of clicking a call to action button, say something about that so that they're not thrown off when they click that button and they all of a sudden they're asked for their billing information. Just be upfront about that, uh, beforehand so they can they can understand what's on the other side of the call to action we've been actually struggling with this one uh, because when credit card is not required we are always happy to inform people about that but how do you say like try us now credit card required or <laughs> just yeah i would just put it in the uh the copy uh below the button you don't even necessarily have to say credit card required but you could just say like plan starting from you know, $60 a month or something like that. And then at least people are thinking that there, that there might be some sort of transaction on the other side of this button. Um, it's just so that you're not completely surprising people. Or another way would be um, they might still be a little bit surprised. They click the call to action button and then they are taken to the to the actual signup process where they enter their information. And then there they would be able to see, you know, there's there's like three steps. Their first step, personal information. Second step, they can see they're going to have to enter billing information. And then at least they're not completely thrown off. They, they see it coming versus like they think I'm going to click the CTA button and then I'm going to enter my email and I'm starting. That's... Like that, if that's not true, don't let people think that because you're going to see a huge drop off after they click that button. We actually experimented with the numbers at the launch and uh, we had uh, payment as a step three in our onboarding and 70, like five, 76% people didn't make it through. Right. Uh, of course, it's a legit concern whether they were originally serious customers and uh, you know legitimate um, leads and so on. But it's it's a clearly it's clearly a story about conversion rate. Oh, for sure. And and if you do, I mean, just in general, I don't think I've ever seen it not the case. If you are asking for credit card information in order to start a free trial, you are going to see some drop off. It's just that's that's the risk you take, and 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 that's okay as long as you're you're. You're okay with that. Let's circle back to the levels of awareness. Uh, maybe just a couple sentences so that people who are not familiar with this idea can get like uh, the concept. Uh, why is it so important for the copy that you create? There's two reasons. The first one would be if you know the person's level of awareness, you're able to meet them where they actually are. And that makes them far more likely to stay on the page and continue the journey. For example, if if somebody clicks an ad or I just have a general idea that people who are coming to my website, they know that there's that they have a problem and they know that there's solutions out there. They're just not sure 
if this is a solution or how it's different than the others. Well, that would probably be a good hint for me to start in the headline and subheadline to show that, yes, we are a solution for this problem that you have. And this is the thing that makes us different, just like you guys do for a user list. That would be that would be a good example of meeting somebody who is solution aware, but not necessarily product aware. They don't know who user list is yet, really. Uh, unlike Apple, for example, <laughs> where pretty much every customer is product aware. They know it's Apple and you just need to hit them with, you know, what are the new features? What have you what are you doing better now than the last model? What's it cost? That's that's really what you need. So that that's that's one reason is it'll it'll tell you where to start. And the other thing is it really settles the debate, which is the long versus short copy debate. Because one of the big drivers for the length of the copy is how aware they are. If they aren't even problem aware, like they don't even really understand the scope of their problem and just how um just how costly it is. You need to start there. You need to you need to first convince them that they have this problem. Then you need to tell them that it's actually a problem that's worth solving. Then you need to show them that you have a solution for the problem, and you need to back it up. And you need to 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 uh, anticipate some of the objections that they're going to have and, and settle those. And you're going to have to convince them to take an action. And so that's obviously going to require more information than. Uh, you know, I need, I need to buy diapers for my son. I'm going to go to the store. I already know what diapers do. I know I need diapers. I'm probably going to get huggies. Like just give me a coupon for 50% off and I'm going to buy your diapers. That's like, you don't need a long form sales page to sell the benefits of diapers. So that that's the other reason. And if we translate that analogy to the world of software, it largely depends on the product uh, type and the market. Let's say if you're selling a help desk, like people don't need to be sold on the value of necessity to have a help desk you can just not jump straight to the uh, to the meat of it and and if you're trying to conquer a new market or create it you'll have a much much longer explanation what it does exactly yeah like uh, right now it's it's a lot of artificial intelligence for example they have a lot more explaining to do there's a lot of skepticism around whether or not it can actually do what they what they say it can do and it's new it's it's solving problems that that uh, people either didn't know they had or it's solving them in completely new ways uh, that they're not familiar with. And so, yeah, a lot more explaining, a lot more copies required. Could you give us some insights about, uh, so the features page is clearly purely informational where people uh, as founders can geek away and describe <laughs> the features that the product does, ideally tying them to benefits. But the pricing page is more of a purely sales intention thing. So give us some best practices for that. It's it's a very important like conversion page. Yeah, yeah. So in terms of pricing strategy, I do a little bit of that, but I would defer to somebody like Patrick Campbell, who I think you've had on the show. Have you had Patrick? Uh, yes, I have. Yes. So look at that episode if you're really interested in pricing, because that guy is like, he's the master of, of pricing strategy. So <laughs> I, I will not be able to go into pricing strategy better than him. But in terms of some of the other things that you would need on the page is you're really... For one, there is that common pattern that I mentioned earlier, which is people land on your homepage and then they go immediately to your pricing page. And so you need to anticipate that. If you see that pattern being uh, expressed over and over again, your pricing page might need to do a little bit more than just say, this is what it costs, because it might almost act as a mini landing page. So you're going to want to highlight some of the key features and, and capabilities and benefits of your product so that when they see the price of your product, they're not shocked by it because you can't assume they've read all the other pages on the site. So um, actually, if you were to look at, as an example right now, is something that just went live recently, Practice Ignition, um, their pricing page, you'll see at the very top, we 
we list, I think it's six or so key benefits, key capabilities that people just really, really love about the product. And then below that, we have testimonials that again, like I was saying earlier, are contextual. So they're not just saying about, they're not just saying how great the product is. They're talking about saving time and saving money and making more money. Because when you're making that purchasing decision, these are the types of things. That's when you're that's when you're talking about ROI, right? If I'm saving money and making more money, then all of a sudden X dollars per month seems cheap. Um, so those are those are two elements. So key features, some contextual testimonials that um, make the price seem reasonable or ideally uh, like a steal. And then you, you need to have some, you're, you're probably going to need some FAQs. So if there's anything that's unclear about your pricing or that might be um, misunderstood about your pricing, uh, and you can often get this from like your chat logs on your pricing page, work that work that into the FAQ and don't make the, I see this so often, but don't make the FAQ like the super uh, dry document. Like it doesn't need to be that way. It, it is in itself a sales document. People are having specific questions, sell your product in the answers, um, sell your services in the, in, in the answers, sell your, your support team in the answers. Don't just, don't just all of a sudden get dry and, and, and not addressing exactly what it is they're thinking and feeling at that time. Just general rule of life, I guess, uh, for consultants and uh, SaaS people and everyone is to never quote a price just in the middle of a blank page. It never goes like that. It should be surrounded with benefits, details, anything else. And you just described what exactly. <laughs> exactly. It's, it's amazing how something that's $100 a month can be expensive. And then all of a sudden, with the right information around it, it's a steal. And so that, that is your job as someone who's copywriting and, and uh, doing conversion optimization. What about the about page? Do you, from your experience, find that it's a popular one? I don't spend too much time on about pages. Uh, what I do find is they become more important, at least in like the sales process. So larger companies might find value in their about page in that, you know, people who are looking to work for a company are looking at the about page because they want to see if this is the type of company they want to be a part of. That's not really uh, an outcome that I spend a lot of time optimizing for. But for a smaller company, like I mentioned, uh, Tom's Planner before, it's it's a single founder company. It's the type of company that you would find at like a microconf. The about page there kind of matters because they're picking a fight with the big guys in the industry. People want to know who this person is uh, behind the company because, I mean, it's named after him. His name is actually Tom. <laughs> um, and so in situations like that, it, it can be a differentiator because it's it's you, this little scrappy guy who's solving a problem, a very specific problem in a very compelling way against the big guys, the big faceless uh, companies out there who have like 100 employees and you don't really care who's behind it as long as as long as the product works. So for those smaller, you know, self-funded companies, I would actually spend a little bit of time on that about page and telling a story and not necessarily, again, like the FAQ, selling. So don't just talk about yourself, talk about how your journey and who you are has actually led to this product, which is better than the alternatives out there. So it is still an opportunity to sell yourself and your product. Don't go overboard though. I've seen a bunch of about pages that are just purely about benefits and value. <laughs> so there's not, like two facts diluted into a thousand words of copy and no information. <laughs> don't do that. Yeah, yeah, exactly. You don't want to go too far, but I mean, like when, when you're talking about your history, I mean, I could, like when, we, when you asked about how I got started, I could have told you a whole bunch of other things, but I told you the pieces that are relevant to someone who is in SaaS and might want to hire somebody like me to help them with their SaaS company. I could have told you all types of other things about myself that actually wouldn't have really mattered. And so that's, that's what I mean there is just like really focus in on the things that make you the right person to be solving this problem. 
when it comes to crafting actual words and sentences, do you have any like top few pieces of advice that you could recommend to our listeners? Yeah, so I know I know some copywriters lean heavily on like templates and formulas and I just I haven't I haven't gotten into that. So instead, what I really lean heavily on are my spreadsheets that are just organized, you know, voice of customer data like straight out of their mouth or straight off the keyboard and the themes that that I find there and I, and I'm just pulling it in. So, for example, if I were working on, you know, user, userless website and there's a specific feature set that I'm writing copy about, I'm going to go through my the painstaking process of going through my spreadsheets and and I'm going to pull sort of all the mentions, all the notable mentions of that feature. I'm just going to I'm going to I'm going to paste it on the page. And I'm just going to go over it and over and over and over again and then out of that, you know, the message, what's important, what's being said over and over again is going to bubble to the top. And that's where I'm starting to get the copy from if I'm not able to pull it directly from the customer themselves. So that's my process. It is by no means the fastest way to do things, but it's uh, it's the way that I found where I can write something and I can be quite confident that I've captured uh, the customer's voice and what it is they care about. This is such great advice. And thanks again for mentioning user list over and over. Uh, we actually didn't. It's, <laughs> it's not sponsored. Yeah. Sorry, guys. I'm not being paid to do that. It's <laughs> it's just it's top of mind. And, and I think you guys are a really good example of uh, what what a smaller startup should do. Like my understanding is, is uh, your goal isn't necessarily to be a billion dollar unicorn with tons of funding. And so with that in mind, I think you guys are doing it properly. You slice off a sliver of the market and you just serve it in a way the big guys can't. And uh, I don't see enough of that. I see a lot of, I see a lot of startups coming to me and they're wondering why they can't get customers. And it's because they have positioned themselves as the cheaper, worse, smaller version of the incumbents in their market, when really they should be doing what you guys are doing, which is you know attacking a sliver of it and doing an amazing job of it. Thank you so much. Actually, I would love to share a little story how you helped us with a little piece of advice, which turned out super valuable. And it has to do with mentioning competitors on your website and in public and everywhere. So it's it's no secret that one of the key players in our niche is Intercom, but we had been shy right. to just say it out loud, especially on the sales page, because I don't know, afraid of being sued or something. <laughs> and uh, then it was you and later... Uh, Mark, Mark uh, of Betalist, who gave very similar advice about just calling it out. Tell us why that can be a great strategy. Yeah, so that is something that can be a great strategy and a terrible strategy. So in your case, <laughs> I think it's a great strategy. And when I spoke about that other uh, client of mine, that's a smaller company, Thomas Planner, it's also a great strategy to call it the competitors. And the reason, the reason that it's actually a good strategy in this case is because your your customers or your prospects are already thinking about these companies. Either they've used them and they found it's just not right for them, or they've looked into them and it's it's just too expensive or, or too complicated for, for them right now. Um, so in, that, in those cases, you want to mention your competitor. In Tom's Planner's case, it was uh, spreadsheets and MS Project that came up over and over again. So we, so we called it out. So yeah, there, it makes total sense. Now, if your ideal prospect or customer uh, just has a problem and they haven't actually thought about all the different uh, solutions out there and they've come to your website, it would be a huge mistake to mention intercom or customer.io because now you've just given them two other alternatives to compare you against, um, which isn't necessarily what you want. So yeah, it's definitely a double-edged sword in your case. I think it makes it makes a ton of sense. 
since I have a copywriter on my podcast, I want to ask a question <laughs> that's been bothering me for years, doesn't directly relate to websites, uh, but it's more about uh, formatting your paragraphs. So I'm mm -hmm. totally up for human language and using, you know, human words, not academic or anything. But as a designer, I prefer mm -hmm. like nicely alternating paragraphs, some of them long, some of them short, like, uh, and it so it looks serious, like a serious resource, I don't know how magazine could read not uh, new yorker but definitely something right. in print whereas copy hackers joanna weeb uh, my co-founder claire and like dozens of other amazing copywriters just do it very uh small sentence like torn <laughs> kind of style page which sounds very conversational mm -hmm. but by no means just resembles any decent academic resource <laughs> visually in terms of like the visual rhythm and the paragraph style. Do you have an opinion on that? Like when one style is more appropriate or when the other style is? Hmm. I haven't put too much thought into that. I, I definitely know what you're talking about. I like like a variety in the cadence. So I do like to see some punchy sentences, um, some sentences that are so short that you wouldn't even call them a sentence. But I also like to see those followed by, you know, a typical sentence or or a paragraph. I, I don't definitely don't shy away from paragraphs on any of my client websites. And I think I think sometimes the reason that copywriters can shy away from including paragraphs is we often, well, at least our clients will tell us that nobody reads anymore. <laughs> it's just not true. We read. We, I think we probably read more than ever. It might not be books, but we read. And if if that person is the right person for your company and you are saying the right things, they're going to read your page. That person who is not right for your company, they're not going to read a paragraph. This isn't necessarily my area of expertise, but for somebody like you, you know that there's ways to make longer copy more readable. Like you, you need to make sure you have some like bold headlines, for example, and that where you can capture their attention, the scanner's attention and encourage them to stop and pay attention to certain pieces. Uh, so I definitely, uh, I'm, not, I'm not all in on either camp. I think there's times and places for both. Emails, for example, I would tend towards those the shorter the shorter lines especially if i'm if i have a sense that a lot of people are going to be reading this on mobile a paragraph that looks beautiful on a on a on a big screen can can be kind of scary on on a mobile device <laughs> um so yeah it's really just it's really just matching it uh to the job and the task at hand uh, i'm definitely not afraid of paragraphs there is one advice that I, I i i love applying is that someone wrote your text your copy should be like music some of the sentences should be long some of them should be short so it, it's got to be dynamic not like all same kind of rhythm exactly yeah and actually there's a i, I wish i could find it i read it again recently where there's like actually a, a paragraph that's written about this topic but in itself also explains it yeah <laughs> you know what i'm talking about i will try to find an example and link to that it definitely is the one that i refer to so yeah yeah so if you were to uh recap you know top three mistakes that you see happening all the time on SaaS websites what would they be what should people avoid doing yeah so the first one should come as no surprise do not skimp on the customer research don't fall into this trap where you think you know we have to have this website live in october no matter what i mean it's an expensive mistake to just get something live in october you'd be much better off to keep your website simple and do it properly so go through the customer research the market research the competitor research do not skimp on that the other thing would be 
to make sure that, and, and this might seem intuitive, like it's common sense, but to actually make sure that your research finds its way into the website. <laughs> because what I'll often see is people have done this research and I'll be amazed that they've done it because when I read their website, it is not reflected in their copy at all. They did all this research like, oh, customers say these things. Well, here's a better way to say it. It's like, no, your customers were saying it right. Like just, just take elements of what they were saying and putting into the website and, and, and uh, do that. And the other thing would be, and I hope this doesn't start a debate because I know you're on the other side of this one, but start with the copy and then design around it. And this is coming from a copywriter. I really think it's important for designers to see a key part of their job to actually make the important parts of the copy stand out and to make it readable and legible so that people take in more of the information versus handing a copywriter a template, which I used to see, especially in my early days, they hand them a template and it's like, wow, I've got 10 words here that I need to do. I've got to come up with three points, but I've got six or I have two. Definitely don't do that. Definitely don't write copy to templates. Oh, I'm totally on board with that awesome. for sure. Awesome. It's just in design projects and I haven't done a good website other than my own for a while, but you never get it up front. So it's just reality, unfortunately. Right. Yeah, yeah, for sure. So those would be three key things. Don't don't skimp on the research. Actually make the research have its way into your website and start with the, the copy, not the design. That will save you so many problems. Thank you so much. I'm, I'm loving the way this episode turned out and that we, uh, we showed that uh, the most important thing is actually talking to your customer in their voice about the product and not the actual words, even though your profession does say copywriter. Exactly. It's, it's our own fault for branding ourselves as a writer of sorts when it's just, it's <laughs> the easiest part of our job. Uh, once you've done the research, it, it all gets pretty easy from that point on. As designers who are listening to us, uh, I can totally uh, say that when you are presented uh, opportunities to design websites, and I've, I've done that a bit. Um, you can go ahead and uh, help your customers plan the key parts. And th this regard, your copywriting expertise would be very valued. Yes, exactly. So Josh, where can people find you online and where they can read more of your awesome work? Yeah, so I am at swaycopy.com. I'm not too focused on helping, you know, individual freelancers and consultants, although I do have like a free email series that you can find on there. It's it's heavily geared towards SaaS companies that have some of the problems that we are talking about here today. And then in terms of social media, Twitter is where I'm the most active. Otherwise, if you really want to contact me and chat about something, you'll find uh, contact information on, on my website and we can take this to email or whatever makes the most sense. Fantastic. Thank you so, so much for sharing your wisdom today. This was great. Really enjoyed your insights. Yeah, thank you for having me, Jane. Have a wonderful rest of your week. You too.